Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. From the land of my birth, veuillez accueillir nos familles françaises. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I want to take you around the France Pavilion at Epcot, show you around, tell you about what you can see, what you can experience, and what you can do here. So let's come around and have a look. We'll break this up and I'll give you an overview, talk about the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on and talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays. I'll then head inside and talk about all of the inside displays and shopping. Afterward, I'll tell you all about the entertainment that you'll find, characters, and kid stuff, and I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. Now finally, I'll give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion or is planned for the future. Now this is the eighth pavilion we've explored. I'll put links to the previous podcasts in my show notes page. So let's start with an overview. As I get started with this podcast, I'm going to be honest and say that my lingual skills only extend so far, and I have some trouble with French pronunciations. I'll do my best. My apologies if I botch a pronunciation or if I happen to call your mother a hamster. Now, like the other World Showcase pavilions, a lot of thought went into the design and layout, and there's a unique story to tell about the design of this particular pavilion. The basic concept was that the Imagineers wanted to capture the sort of essence of France at a time before the French Revolution, the time when art prospered and that most would think of France in the romanticized view of the country. It's the time that defined France as beautiful, magical, and a romantic place in the world with its Baroque architecture, cobblestone streets, parks, bridges, rivers, the lights, and all of those things. And specifically, the Imagineers wanted to represent Paris for two reasons. The first reason is because Paris really defines France. I imagine most people can't name many other cities in France. And Paris has an amazing architecture that defines the period the Imagineers wanted to evoke. Now second, and this is really the truly inspired piece of this, the Imagineers wanted to pay tribute to Walt Disney and his inspiration for Epcot's World Showcase, the World's Fair. Paris, as you may know, hosted one of the great World's Fairs in history. The Exposition Universelle of 1889 was held on the 100th anniversary of the storming of the Bastille, which had come to represent the birth date of a new, more modern France. Now, as you probably know, each of the World's Fairs erected a structure that's a symbol of the fair. In New York, you have the globe. In Seattle, you have the monorail. And in Paris, you have a creation by Gustave Eiffel. The tower was constructed for the 1889 exposition and has survived through two world wars and many interesting moments in history, including a moment near the end of the Second World War where the Nazis planned to demolish it, going so far as to plant bombs around the structure. Thankfully, they were dissuaded, and we still have this beautiful cultural icon as a lasting monument to the Exposition Universelle. In the design, the Imagineers captured a cityscape that we think of as France. Is it a true representation of France? Perhaps not. And you won't find any of these specific buildings 
anywhere in France, though there are a few facades that represent places, but you will find the essence of the beauty and the feel of France. It has this romantic feel and intentionally it's always springtime in Epcot. It's the perfect France in a way. The specific time period that's represented in Epcot is Paris between the years 1871 and 1914, which is known as La Belle Epoque, which is the beautiful age. The path from 1789 to 1889 had been long, bloody, and full of kings and emperors, wars and terrors, but by 1889, peace had held for almost 20 years. The country was democratic and prosperous, and the French were ready to show off. The exposition they put on featured a giant hall of machines, art exhibitions, opera halls, anthropological showcases, and other great attractions. However, keep in mind that nothing attracted attention and visitors more than the events Piece de Resistance, the Eiffel Tower. Imagineers balanced the idea well and were able to lure in several sponsors to contribute to the cost of construction and the continual maintenance of the pavilion. These include Barton and Gustier, Guy Le Roche, L'Anson Champagne, the French chefs that include Paul Bocuse, Gaston Le Nôtre, Roger Verge, and Didier Forret. Now, as we look around the grounds and gardens, we start by looking at the placement of the pavilion. It's located near the International Gateway on the southwest side, while the UK Pavilion is on the, on the other side of the gateway, sitting on the, to the northeast. Now, why does this matter? Because the water that runs between them, which technically connects the World Showcase Lagoon to the waterways near the hotels and the studios that are over on the boardwalk, but it represents the English Channel, the body of water that physically separates England from France in the real world. In the real world, the southernmost city of Dover is in England, and it's a mere 33 kilometers or about 20 miles from the northernmost city in France, Calais. On a clear day, you can actually see one city from the other, and it's easy enough to travel between the cities. So putting France south of England makes complete sense. Again, reality meets whimsy. Now the bridge to enter the France Pavilion, coming from the side where the United Kingdom is, is modeled after a real bridge between the famous Louvre Museum and the Institut de France which is on the Seine River. Look over as you cross the bridge toward the International Gateway. On your right, you'll notice a bicycle parked next to an artist easel, along with a partially completed painting. The painting itself is of the original bridge that crossed over the waterway here in Epcot before the International Gateway was completed. So it was a slightly different bridge that they've updated that looks more like the bridge that's actually in France. Now, as you come into the France Pavilion, the first thing you'll see is a representation of a famous advertising column, or the Morris Columns, or cylindrical outdoor sidewalk structures with characteristic styles that are used for advertising and other purposes. They're common in many parts of Europe, but started in the city of Berlin, Germany in 1855. Advertising columns were invented by the German printer Ernst Litfass in 1854. In France, the columns are named at Morris after Gabriel Morris, a printer who held the concession for advertising in 1868. They were originally built by La Société Fomière de Colonnes Morris. Behind that, you can see a cityscape. You have fountains, gardens, and the structures that evoke the feeling of Paris. And in the back, you'll see the Eiffel Tower. But let's start up front. Before you is a small park inspired by Georges Seurat's painting, A Sunday Afternoon in the Island of La Grande Jatée. This is a fairly famous painting, which happens to be displayed in the Art Institute of Chicago. If you've ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you'll remember it as the painting that Cameron spends so much time studying when they're in the art museum in Chicago. 
It depicts people relaxing by the Seine River on a 7 foot by 10 foot canvas, and it's done in something called pointillism, meaning it's done with dots rather than with brush strokes. The park area in Epcot is curved bushes set up sort of like art. It's cute and clever and a reasonable homage to Surratt's work. Now you may also notice that this garden is perpetually in spring. No matter what time of year that you go, you'll see that the flowering plants that they put there are very much things that you would see in the spring. So the idea is to always evoke that memory of Paris in the springtime. Now next to that is a fountain. Now I'll be honest, it's not all that special. It doesn't have a long and rich history to it, but it's really pretty and it fits in with the theme of the artistic elements. It has a nice reflection piece and it has some water shooting across it. So you really get that feeling of a Paris cityscape. You're in Paris somewhere and that would be something you might expect to see somewhere in the city. Now, speaking of artistic, turn around and look out toward the lagoon. Since the Sunday in the park is on the River Seine and the bridge you crossed is a replica of the one that crosses the River Seine, you should let your imagination take you there. The lagoon is now the River Seine. You'll see some large green boxes that line the shore of our Seine here in Epcot, much as they do in the real thing in France. These are common in France as many secondhand booksellers store their merchandise in similar structures. So they've done a nice job of kind of evoking that feeling like you're on the River Seine. Now turning back to the buildings, the concept here is to evoke a portion of France with its buildings and architecture and the feeling of being in Paris. Each storefront tells its story of its own from the bookseller to the parfumerie, to the glacé, to the sidewalk cafes, to the boulangerie, um, a replica of Les Halles, a famous Parisian market. These are things you would expect to find in any neighborhood in and around Paris. Now the main street here in Epcot's Paris is named La Petite Rue, which literally translates to a small, quaint street. There's just one detail that some would tell you might be a problem here. Disney's ultra-clean environment is exactly what Paris is not. One of those things that gives Paris its charm is the dirt and grime that exists throughout the city. It's what makes Paris, Paris. But it's something we can trade off to make it work here at, at Disney's version of Paris. It's, it, it is something, if you've ever been to Paris, it's, it's not that it's dirty, it's just that it has a certain level of grime that makes it really what it is. It kind of gives it this, I, I don't know, maybe it, it extends the romance in some way. There's something about it that just makes it sort of charming. Now in Paris, you can see the Eiffel Tower from pretty much anywhere. So this town that you're in represents literally any and every part of Paris. Now look carefully at the buildings. You should notice that the walls and roofs of the buildings aren't quite straight. They're built at angles that make them look bigger when viewed from the street level perspective. Trompe deceive the eye, is a perspective that was once practiced by the French painters, and Disney architects used this practice in designing the pavilion. Of course, we know this technique well. It's forced perspective in Disney speak. First used in motion picture set design, later it was applied to Main Street in Disneyland. And now about the replica Eiffel Tower. The story goes that Disney obtained the original blueprints for the tower and scaled it down to about one-tenth size and widened it slightly at the base to Trompe This one stands at about 100 feet tall. They placed it on top of a building to give it a height so that it could be easily seen from the front of the pavilion. They painted it in the original color and put a goo on it that repels birds because the last thing they wanted was a two-foot bird throwing off the scale and ruining the illusion. Now I read a quote that I think sums up why Disney chose to use Paris and place the Eiffel Tower so prominently. It's from Richard Dakin, 
He says, I can't think of any other building that so instantly brings to mind its home city and the country. The Eiffel Tower means Paris, France. Show someone an image of that tower and their mind instantly makes the association. The only thing that comes close to the icon is another French construction from the Belle Epoque, the Statue of Liberty. I think the Eiffel Tower works so well as a signifier because that's the only purpose it was ever meant to serve. From its prominent placement on the Champs de Mars to its elegant and at one time cutting edge engineering, it exists only to show off. It's a monument to being able to build awesome and lovely monuments. And Richard Dakin is a travel journalist and I just thought that really kind of encapsulated what it's all about. Now let's talk about shopping in the pavilion. Much of the pavilion is dedicated to shopping. Here are the main shops that you can wander into. Bloom et Palette. This shop sells French fragrances, soaps, and handbags. At one time, guests could go to the second floor of the store and buy Impressionist prints. However, this floor is no longer open to guests, but you can still wander in and see it and kind of get a feeling for what it looks like. There's a shop that sells Givenchy. This shop offers the entire line of Givenchy fragrances and cosmetics. There's La Signature. This shop carries uh, Guerlain fragrances for men and women. The shop was redesigned in 2007 to resemble the original La Maison Guerlain Boutique in Paris, Le Vigne des Chefs de France. This shop offers various French wines as well as wine tasting. Behind the tasting counter at Alvines de France, you can find Chef Remy. These little chefs are also for sale in the store. You can find him in slightly different vignettes, doing different things, but it's kind of a cute way to pay homage to Remy. There's Le Spirit de Provence, located across from Le Vigne de Chefs de France. This store sells kitchenware, silverware, and cookbooks. And finally, Souvenir de France. This shop sells various French merchandise. Souvenir de France was originally known as Galerie de Halles. Let's talk about a few other areas that are here. The layout of the pavilion is basically a horseshoe. Everything is inside this loop, with the exception of the entrance to both of the sit-down restaurants, which are on the outside, closer to Morocco. The storefronts mostly are what they appear to be. What you see on the outside is pretty much what you're going to see on the inside. As far as entertainment, there's a show called Cervol Amusant, Amusing Servants, where French acrobats dressed as waiters do a series of juggling, balancing, and coordinated routines using chairs, tables, and of course, pieces of dinnerware. The act is comical and guests may be asked to participate. It is C'est Magnifique. You can find the KitKat station in the Souvenir de France. Now, Belle and Beast used to appear regularly at the pavilion since it's based on a French fairy tale. But these days, they appear to be spending more time at the Magic Kingdom and you don't find them as often, but you should check your guide map because they may appear at times in the France pavilion. You can also sometimes find Marie the Cat from the Aristocats out and about wandering around. Remy at one point made regular appearances. Yes, a moving Remy and it was very cute in the restaurant, but that appears to have been recently retired. The cool thing about it was he would come out on a little, um, on a cart and they would open up the cloche and he would be inside it and he would interact with guests and it was kind of a cool thing they were doing. Now one person you'll, we will regularly find in the France Pavilion is Princess Aurora greeting guests. The original Sleeping Beauty story is also a French fairy tale written in the 7th century by a Parisienne, Charles Perrault. 
you will regularly find her in the French Pavilion. Now, you may not know this, but Cinderella is also a French fairy tale. She doesn't appear here because she has a castle to tend to in the Magic Kingdom. Now, as far as entertainment goes, the big draw in the French Pavilion is the Impressions de France. Straight back in the pavilion is a representation of a landmark in Paris, the Palais du Cinéma. In the lobby area, don't miss the spitting gargoyle. This is a replica statue of one of the gargoyles that guard the Cathedral du Notre Dame. This gargoyle was made from a cast of the original and is interesting to see close up because when you're at Notre Dame, you have to like look up and you can't really see them that well. This one you can see the detail on because he's right there in front of you. Impressions de France is an 18-minute film that captures the spirit of Paris on a five-screen panorama that extends in front and off to your sides. It's like a travel brochure in a way and gives you a wonderful vista into France. It's directed by Rick Harper and produced by two-time Academy Award nominee Bob Roger, whose wins were in short films. It's narrated by a man named Claude Goubet. Some people have called this the best film at Disney, and I tend to agree. In spite of some of its dated moments, it was made in the 1970s after all. It's stunning and it's spectacular. You can easily get swept away by the land where beauty abounds and fairy tales were born. Through the air and at street level, experience France. It's really something remarkable. You can soar through this magnificent country, race cars in cons, ride boats on the Seine, fly over cliffs at Mont Saint-Michel in Normandy, see the Etrat in the Haute-Normandy region, ski over dangerously rocky peaks, sweep over the exquisite countryside in a huge hot air balloon, take a tantalizing train ride in Paris, visit the Chateau de Chambord in the Loire Valley, and visit the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and climb the elegant Eiffel Tower. How can you go wrong? All of those things in an 18-minute film you get a sense of what France is all about. The visual tour of the nation is set against a musical score arranged by Buddy Baker. It really runs the gamut of French history, encompassing the music of classical French composers such as Claude Debussy and Camille Saint-Saëns. It's, it's a remarkable thing, and I'll play for you the audio from this because the music just kind of takes you there. Now, theme park tourist Robert Niles says, no, this is not a complete picture of France. You won't find mention of labor trouble or ethnic conflict here. Its impressions of the nature are not made randomly, but instead draw from moments of France at leisure. And it should for an audience that is itself on vacation. By ignoring the story of France to share impressions of France, Harper's film scorns the brain to engage the heart. And with the power of its music, it succeeds.
distant towns, in quiet villages, within the heart of all my people dwells, the secret vagabond.
From the cool green north they come, to the golden glow of the Riviera, where warm winds kindle dreams of eternal spring. A city of dreams come true and yet to be 
So now, please, ladies and gentlemen, collect all your personal belongings as we exit through these open doors on your left. I also invite you to visit Leal, a design after the beautiful streets and marketplace in Paris. So have a wonderful day, friends, and we'll watch your case. Merci, au revoir. Now, some people enjoy sampling beverages from around the world. So we're going to talk about drinking around the world and World Showcase. France is known for its wine, and you can sample it at La Maison du, du Vin. France's wine shop offers fine French wine from uh, by the bottle, wine-related accessories, and even a tasting station. If you want to sample some of the shop's offering, try the tasting, which offers three mini glasses of wine for a reasonable fee. If you enjoy fine wine and related items, make this shop a priority. Now, even if you're not a fan of wine, La Maison de Vin is worth a visit, thanks to the shop's other offerings, French chocolates, cookery items, and crisp Provence-inspired textiles. Now, you can also find some adult beverages over in Les Halles, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And that's when we'll talk about restaurants. Now, French food is remarkable in its own right. It's rich, it's luxurious, it feels really good. It always feels a little heavy, but it's, it's a wonderful thing. And the restaurants in the pavilion represent that cuisine of France. There are actually four dining locations here in, in the uh, French pavilion. The first is Les Halles Boulangerie Patisserie in the back of the pavilion. 
This is a counter service offering that is buffet style. You get in line and you select your items you want from the display case and pay for them and, and then go to a series of tables to eat. Or of course you can take them on the go. You'll find sandwiches, some familiar, some a little more unusual, but all delicious, some snacks, and of course, French pastries. If you can think of a pastry, they probably serve it. Next up on the left of the pavilion is L'Artesson de Glacé, which is basically an ice cream shop. They serve 16 flavors daily, including sorbets. The ice cream is more like a custard and can be ordered with a cone or a sweet brioche bun, and it's always worth a stop. In the front of the pavilion, it, on the first floor, is Le Chef de France. This is the table service restaurant that features a menu created by three famous chefs, Paul Bocuse, Gaston Lenotre, and Roger Verge. You can order many traditional French dishes to please your palate. And finally, there's a signature dining location above Les Chefs, and it's what was formerly Bistro de Paris, and now it's called Monsieur Paul. For the man who runs it, the world-renowned chef, Paul Bocuse. Fine dining, transported a half a world away, but in an unassuming and approachable way. It's authentic French cuisine. It's not really for kids, but you also don't need to have a jacket to dine there. It's just an amazing meal, and it's well worth it. It's a little pricey, but it's well worth it if you have the time and the budget. Now let's talk about what nearly was. The France Pavilion was always going to be a part of World Showcase. The pavilion's designs and layout changed many times. Early designs of the pavilion showed the theater, which would eventually house Impressions de France, and was at one time going to be round. The design suggests that Imagineers likely envisioned a Circle Vision 360 film. And according to Richard Beard's book, Walt Disney's Epcot, Creating the New World of Tomorrow, the pavilion's layout changed drastically before it was built, he says, with the best will in the world. There was still not complete agreement among the Epcot team during the planning of the France Pavilion. One of the first concept sketches was the Place du Tetre, the artist colony up near the Cathedral Sacré-Cœur. Then the Moulin Rouge and then the Place Pigalle were considered, but the French advisor thought it was tacky. It is, but tourists still love it. Sacré-Cœur itself, when they uh, tried to build it to scale, looked rather Muscovite to a lot of people with its onion-type domes, but the Eiffel Tower is unmistakable. It's one of a kind. And that's from Walt Disney's Epcot, Creating the New World of Tomorrow. Now, at one time, plans for the pavilion also called for the creation of an animated map. Guests would be able to push a button on the map and learn about what was happening in the country's various regions, including the coast of Normandy and Brittany, the skiing areas, the Riviera, the wine country. And in another unused plan for France, the France Pavilion called for the Exposition Hall based on Les Halles de Paris. This hall would have showed displays of France's provincial regions as well as an information center. When the France Pavilion originally opened, it featured two table service restaurants. Le Chefs de France and Au Petit Café. Both restaurants proved to be extremely popular and due to demand, the Bistro de Paris was built in 1984. This new table service restaurant was constructed on the second floor of Le Chefs de France, replacing the office buildings that were previously housed there. Another change to France's restaurants came in 1997 when Disney decided to merge Au Petit Café with Le Chefs de France. The restaurant reopened as an expanded version of Le Chefs de France later that year. And then on January 10, 2013, an expanded bakery called Les Halles Boulangerie Patisserie opened at the France Pavilion. So the France Pavilion at Epcot is really interesting. It has a very rich history. It's got a lot of interesting things that go on there. And I highly recommend going to visit it. Take your time and wander around and explore Paris. It really does feel like you're there and you're, you're taken there. And I, I enjoy just going in there. Now I feel like I want to go back and watch Impressions de France again just because it's one of those films that really captures your imagination. Well, that's it for this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it.
Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 